just a few things before we get into the message. Miss Opal uh, tried to grab my attention. She asked that we pray uh, for her granddaughter's husband who's going to be deployed into Africa. As we know, that's a dangerous place. And so uh, let's remember him in our prayers. Also, I want to take a, uh, just a moment to pray. Uh, you know, this, about this time last week, uh, we saw one of the, the worst uh, shootings in, in history at, at churches, at religious organization, the worst in Texas. And so I do want to take just a moment during our service to pray for all of our churches uh, here locally and around the world for safety. Um, because what we get to do and the opportunities that we get to have this morning, uh, it's more than just about gathering. It's about having a safe place to hear the Word of God and to uh, have the Word of God transform us. And my great fear for us is that the enemy would use this sacred space to become a terrifying place that would distract us uh, ultimately from the truths of God and so that we could even still come but be so distracted by fear. That's what Satan wants to do. He wants to have all of us to live in fear so we're distracted and that's what Jesus talks to us about. We'll see that today in this passage. Don't fear. Don't fear. And so that's what I want to pray. I want to pray for all of our churches here and around the world uh, in these next few moments that God would bring them safety. So let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time. God, I'm grateful, again, that we get to gather in this place. I'm grateful for the men uh, that sacrifice even here during this hour of worship to keep us safe. And uh, God, I do pray, I pray for all the churches in our area that you'd keep them safe. As we look and we remember last week, we remember uh, the victims uh, of that tragic, tragic shooting. And God, we know that Satan would want to use that to uh, bring fear to all of us, even as we gather here, to distract us from what we've come for, and that's to honor and to worship you. So I, I do pray for all the churches in our area. I pray for all the churches here in the U.S. I pray for all the churches around the world that you'd bring them safety and clarity and uh, protect them. I'm grateful to be here this morning at this pulpit to preach your word. And I pray for us. I pray that you would keep us safe this morning. We pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus. Amen. If you've turned there, turn to Matthew chapter verse 21 you know over the last three weeks we've been journeying through this uh section of mark we started in matthew but uh just because the account in matthew is a little bit more detailed than it is in mark and so but we were journeying through this passage of mark looking at what we call jesus stories jesus uh, has spoken to us and done a lot of things and so so often we come to the gospels and we see these messages in the gospels and we can kind of take them for granted. They become so familiar to us that we really miss the point of the passage. We miss what Jesus had in store for us when this took place. And so this morning we're going to look at two stories within one story. We're going to look this morning at this idea of power and victory. And do we believe that this morning? Do we believe that we have power and do we believe that we have victory? I hope that's true. I, I don't know about you, but I, I know for me what this week held for me. It was one of those weeks I just could not wait for it to be over. Anyone ever have those weeks 
Like, man, I, I just can't. Okay, Frank, it's just you and me, I guess, this morning in the, in the room. So uh, um, I'm, I'm grateful for that. But for me, I, it seemed like every day just progressively got longer. And so much so till uh, on Friday I was at, uh, I was studying this passage at Starbucks. And I get to my car and I go to start the car. And what happens? The car doesn't start. And I thought, Really? That was my first thought. And then I remember thinking, I just read, have faith and pray. So I began to pray over the car. Like, okay, Jesus, just start the car because I got to go get the kids. And I don't want the kids uh, to panic that I'm out there. And so I thought, man, this, this, that prayer will do the trick. Anyone ever thought that? Man, that's the prayer. That was a good one. Man, if any of them is going to start the car, that would have been the prayer. And what happened? I turned the key over. Nothing. And I thought, okay, what is wrong with me? What's going on with me? And I just had been studying this passage about power and about faith and about prayer and about believing. And then about, I, I called Lance, thank goodness Lance answered and said he's coming right away. And so I just sat there like, uh, you know, when you just sit in a parking lot with the, the hood up, I, at least I do, maybe you don't feel this. I just feel like the dumbest man on the planet. I felt even more dumb because I didn't have jumper cables, so I couldn't ask for help. I was like, man, I, I feel like a dummy right now in this parking lot of Starbucks. But I began to marinate over this scripture as I was sitting there. And about 25 minutes later, I turned over to the car. And I began to drive away from that moment and what did I, what was I thinking? I was thinking to myself, thank goodness I can go get the kids. Thank goodness I can go get a new battery. Thank goodness I can fill in the blank. And then I got all the way to uh, the, the auto place. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I had just put, I just sat there and for a moment and thought to myself, man, I had done all this praying for the car to start. It started and I missed it. I missed it. Because why? It didn't happen in my time frame. It didn't happen when I wanted to because, hey, if it had happened that first go or that second go of turning the car over, I would have given all the credit to God. But in that moment, I just said, man, thank goodness that the battery recharged itself. See, I missed it. I think to myself, and I thought to myself about us, the church. How often does it happen that way? We pray for something, we pray for something, we pray for something. It doesn't happen in our timetable. And then when it does happen, we're so distracted by everything else, we miss the point that God still did it. Amen? Anyone ever been there before? That's kind of what happens here in this passage. That's what Jesus is going to teach us in this passage. But let's go to Mark chapter 5, verse 21. And when Jesus, remember Jesus had already crossed over the other side the first story we looked at was jesus crossing over this other side the storms come and jesus walks on the water he saves the disciples and they get to the other side and then when they get to the other side remember last week we looked at the demon possessed man coming to him out of his mind it says running to the feet of jesus and what does jesus do he heals him so now we see jesus is back in the boat going back to the other side and jesus is crossed again in the boat to the other side and a great crowd gathered. Now see, 
for me, we can miss those three little words. A great crowd. The fourth one, gathered. And I, I thought to myself, before I even got into the rest of the text, what do I come to Jesus for? What do I gather to Jesus for? Like, why do these group of people, this gathering of people, this crowd of people come to Jesus for? That's, that's why I just stopped there in my study. And we'll see throughout the rest of Mark and throughout the Gospels, so often this great crowd of people gathered to Jesus for Jesus to do something for them, right? And they, they come, and we can see that in this passage, that even here in this passage, there's going to be two individuals that are in the crowd that come to Jesus for something. But I thought to myself, how often do I just go to Jesus to get something out of it for myself? Like, I don't really care about the spiritual side of coming to Jesus, if I'm honest. And I wonder for me, I wonder for us, the church, when we gather here, what do we gather here for? What do we come here on a Sunday for an hour and 20 minutes, unless I get crazy and go an extra 20? Like, what do we come here for? What do we gather here for? What, what do we hope will happen here? Do we hope that Jesus will do something for us? Do we hope that we feel better about ourselves? Do we hope that you feel in the blank? What will we come here for? We're going to get to what we need to come to Jesus for. But I ask the question to begin the sermon, what are you here for this morning? What did you come expecting this morning? So we see this large crowd had gathered with Jesus. They were about him and he was beside the sea. He had just gotten out of the boat. And then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name, seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay hands on her so that she may be made well and live. I want us to see this man that came to Jesus. You see, we can look at that that one little word, and look at it. This is this guy, this named Jars, and he comes to Jesus, but it says this about him. It says he was the ruler of the synagogue. Well, let's fast forward. What did the rulers of the synagogue do to Jesus? They killed him. So we can see those few little words and think, oh, man, that's just a guy that went to church. No, this was an enemy of Jesus. Like, he might not have been the priest, but he had heard all the discussions about this man named Jesus. And how the rulers and how the priests of the temple, of the synagogue, hated Jesus. And yet, where does this man find himself? When everything that he has done, all the places he has gone to find healing for his daughter had been exhausted. He goes right to Jesus the only source so there's something in him that said to himself man i've heard it says it in the passage that the the, the 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 magnitude of who jesus was was beginning to grow we see that in the passage and so who's the here's this man that somehow some way he doesn't like jesus we see that in John 3. Nicodemus was one of the rulers. And how does Nicodemus come to Jesus? He doesn't go to Jesus in the light of the day. It says that he came to him sneaking around at night so that no one would see him. And so here's this man 
that had a sick daughter. The word death there means it was, he, she was on death's doorstep. It wasn't like she was dying. She was almost dead. We'll see that in the passage. Right? Just FYI, moving forward. She dies in the middle of the story. That's how close to death she is. So here's this man that comes to Jesus. And two things are going to happen to this man and this girl and the woman that we're going to encounter in a few moments. They're going to get something they didn't expect they were going to get. And yet I hope and I pray that we come in with that expectation. Whatever you come here expecting, my prayer is that you leave here with way more than you thought you were going to get here. Right? And so she, here he comes, he falls, it, that, that posture of worship. He fell at his feet and implored him. He begged him earnestly, saying, hey, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay hands on her so that you, that she may be made well and live. Do you know what he was asking Jesus to do? Like we think, oh, I'm just going to come and I'm just going to come. And we just did it a few moments ago. I'm just going to come and I'm going to lay hands on somebody. That's not what was happening in that culture. To lay hands on a dead person meant, hey, I'm asking you to defile yourself. Do you see what he's asking him? It wasn't just, hey, come lay hands. Hey, it was come. You are a rabbi and you need to come and you need to defile yourself for the sake of my daughter. Will you do that? So we can just read the text. Oh, come lay hands on her. No, come do something for me to take away from yourself is what the man is saying. Lay hands on my daughter. Because everything I've done hasn't worked. The the priest, I, I took her to the priest. That didn't work. I prayed over her. That didn't work. But there's something about you, Jesus, laying hands on her that will do something. He believes that to be true. So that what? She may be well and live. What does it say? Verse 24. And he went with him. Right? Like Jesus could have done it in the moment. Jesus could have done it on the spot. Jesus could have said in that moment, she is well, go home and check it out yourself. But what does Jesus do? Jesus shows us that he loves us and that we matter and enters into relationship with this man and begins to walk with him to his house. Don't miss those few words. Jesus desires to be in relationship with every one of us. He went with him. He sacrificed his time. He's about to sacrifice his cleanliness. He's about to sacrifice a whole lot of things to get to this little girl because he cared for the dad. It wasn't just about loving the little girl. It was about caring for the dad. So he went with him. And then what happened? The great crowd followed him. Again, I wonder what the crowd was following him for. In my mindset, I, I think the crowd is following him. And this isn't true, may not be true in the text. I'm just letting you know how my mind thinks about it. Like, if you've ever seen, like, a movie star or someone famous begin to walk, they draw a crowd. And what are they drawing a crowd for? To see what's about to happen. 
Like the, the excitement in the crowd must have been beginning to grow because here Jesus said, yeah, I'll go with you. And so I wonder for the crowd, they begin to think, man, we're about to see something awesome. We're about to gather around something and see something incredible happen. It, it wasn't really for the spiritual purposes. It was just strictly for entertainment. And I pray to God, each of us don't come here for entertainment. You know, that's one of the sad parts for me as I look at, at the landscape of the church in America. Churches this size are dying left and right. But mega churches are growing quicker than anything else. And I wonder to myself, are they growing because they just want to be entertained? Or are they really growing because they want to hear the truths of God? Like, oh, I go to this church or that church, and it becomes cool to go to church. But it's only for entertainment. It's not for the realities of what Scripture talks about. So they went with him, and the crowd followed him, and the crowd was about him, and it, it, it thronged about him. Meaning it pressed, that word means it, it was pressing in on him. And so here's this massive crowd following Jesus, and he's just getting sandwiched in all directions by this crowd that wants to see something. And then there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. Don't miss this in the passage. You remember if you read through the Old Testament when a woman had dis discharge, bodily discharge, blood discharge, it made her unclean. And if she was unclean, she could not be in relationship with anybody else. Nobody else could come and be near her because her uncleanliness would make everyone else unclean. So for 12 years, she sat alone. She wasn't allowed to go in the temple. She wasn't allowed to go have dinner with people. She wasn't allowed to be around anyone. So for 12 years, here's this little lady that was all alone. And what happens? It says this in the passage. She'd spent everything. I don't think she just spent everything for her, for her medical condition. I think she was spending everything so that in some way she could have some kind of friendships with other people. Like she was desperate. So yeah, I think she wanted to be clean. I think she wanted to be healthy. But I think part of her said, Man, I just want some friends. Could you imagine 12 years of having no contact with another human being? 12 years of someone saying to you, you aren't welcome here to church. For 12 years, you cannot worship God corporately. There's something that happens in a gathering of believers in a worship service. I hope you've felt that this woman had not experienced that for over 12 years. So she spent everything she had. And she wasn't getting better. She got worse. She had suffered under many physicians, it says, and she'd spent all that she had. She was getting worse. But she had this thought in the crowd. 
She had this thought that morning getting up. She had this thought when she heard that Jesus was coming into town. She had this thought, it says. Well, she said, if I touch even his garment, if I can just get close enough to him, if I can just touch him, just if, if, if. I circled that word in my Bible, and I thought, what's the ifs in my life? What's the ifs in your life? If I could just do this with Jesus, if I could just get that close to him, if I even touch his garments, I will be made well. See, that woman was willing to sacrifice her own agenda, her own uh, life. Remember, if she touched Jesus, what was going to happen to Jesus? He was going to become unclean. And so she said, I don't really care if he gets unclean because I need something. I really need something. And I know the source that can get and take me to my need and fix my need is Jesus. So I'll put my life on the line and touch a rabbi to get well. Don't forget that in the passage. There's two people that are asking Jesus to do something that no other rabbi would ever think of doing, becoming unclean. If I can just get to him and touch him, I'll be healed. And immediately, she touches him. And what happens immediately, the flow of blood dries up. And she felt it in her body, and she was healed from her disease. I wonder the relief that happened in that woman. Like 12 years, every day, every hour, every moment of the day, she felt something in her body. And in that moment, she just reaches out to the hem of Jesus and touches it. And in that moment, she feels something supernaturally happen that nobody, get it, nobody else had been able to touch for 12 years. And in that moment, she's healed. In that moment, she finds freedom. In that moment, she's got victory. And what does it say in verse 30? And Jesus, perceiving him himself, the power had gone out of him, immediately turned about the crowd. So here's Jesus. All these people were pressing in on him. And yet this one little lady that had been suffering for 12 years touches the very hem of his garment. Now, that, that means that the, the, the tassels of his garment. Like Jesus was a Jewish rabbi, so he wore, wore a prayer uh, rug, and those prayer rugs had tassels. You see that in the, the Old Testament. So she just basically touches a tassel on Jesus. Like, just barely brushes him. And yet Jesus feels it in him that something left him to bring supernatural healing to her. And then look at what Jesus says. Who touched me? Who touched my garment? Like here's Jesus with all this commotion, with all these people. What does he do? He asks another relational question. Who? Not what touched me. Not where did they touch me. But who did this? The same question that he just answered. He wants to be in relationship with us. He now asks this relational question out loud. And what is it? Disciples disciples miss it. The disciples go logical. 31. And the disciples said to him, You see the crowds pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched you? Like, 
I mean, very logical question. Hey, Jesus, like, yoo-hoo. Like, there's thousands of people all around you. Of course you're going to be touched. What are you talking about? Like, of course, Jesus, like, duh. I mean, that'd be like you and I going to a football game and getting touched and be like, who touched me? And, and your friend next to you going, oh, really, man? Like, here's hundreds of people, like, you're all smashed into one little place. Like, really, you're asking who touched you? Like, man, of course you got touched. And then I love Jesus, what he says. And he looked around to see who had done it. It's still looking for that relationship. Still looking to enter into a relationship with somebody. No, no, like, y'all don't get it. Like, who did this? Who wanted to be next to me? Who wanted to be close to me? Who really believed in me that I could do for them what they couldn't do for themselves and no one else could do for themselves? Who did that? And then we see this little lady come up to Jesus. But the woman knowing what had happened came and what she do she came in fear and trembling what she do she had the same response that Jarvis had she fell before Jesus and worshiped here's this woman she made it to Jesus she touched Jesus and all she was trying to do is touch and get out like I, I'm gonna touch Jesus get healed I'm, I'm out of here and yet Jesus feels it and says oh no 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 that's not how I work I don't work by you just coming to me and me and healing you. I work by having a relationship with you. So let's have a relationship. Tell me what's going on in your life that you would want to come and touch me. Let's get into relationship with each other. Let me really know what's going on with you. She fell trembling before Jesus and worshiped him. And then he told her, he told him the whole truth. Oh, Jesus been this way for 12 years i haven't been in relationship with anyone for 12 years i've spent all i had for healing for 12 years i'm kind of at the the end of my rope jesus and you were my desperation you were my hope and that's what i was coming here i heard all these stories about what you were doing i just there's something in me that said if i can just get to you i can just touch you something will happen to me that's what that's the whole truth jesus Can you imagine what else was going on in her mind? Here's this rabbi that asked who touched her. I wonder if all the other places that she went to, they said, no way, I'm not going to let you touch me because if you touch me, I'll become unclean. So she comes and says she came with fear and trembling. She she had to be scared that something was going to happen negatively to her. And yet Jesus says this, in 30, verse 34. Meanwhile, think about Jairus sitting there watching all this happen. Hey, Jesus, you who there's a daughter, she's dying. What are we doing? Waiting here. Like, let's move on. Right? There's still another guy in the story that has a dead daughter. And he said to her daughter, which is a beautiful word in the text. I don't call anyone else my daughter, but one other person. Her name is Tennyson because she belongs to me. She's a part of me. She came from me. So think about that word that Jesus is now saying to her. Jesus isn't a married dude. Jesus doesn't have a girlfriend. Jesus is like straight up. Like Jesus had never been in relationship, and yet he says to her, hey, you belong to me. 
Relational, right? You came for me. You're part of my family. Daughter, he says. Not girl, not woman. Daughter. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. See, he tells her two things in that passage. Two things. I'll tell you the latter first. He says to her, go. Your disease has made heal. Your, your disease has been healed. Like your external, the things that have been going on in you, that disease that you had for 12 years, it's done. It's over. It's been healed. It's been taken care of. Her. But the thing that he addresses first that she wasn't coming to Jesus for was salvation. You see, it says in the passage, he says to her daughter, your faith has made you well, go in peace. And see, we can look at that, and we can look at that in the English language and think, well, yeah, go in peace, you're, you're well. But the Greek says it this way, it's your salvation that's made you well. Do you see that? Now you have peace because you have my salvation that covers you. And you came for your healing physically, but I'm here to give you a supernatural healing daughter he invites her into the family which means now she has to belong to him which means she has to be saved right if if we look at the text we read the text the way it is so here's this woman for 12 years looking for for healing and her face said if i just get to jesus i'll be healed oh yes you will but there's so much more that comes with that amen don't, don't miss that in the text. She came to her for physical healing, but she received something that nobody could give to her. No amount of money could have given to her. Both physical healing, but spiritual healing. And now she can live in peace because of the power of God. You, you see, victory comes through one word in the gospel. Surrender. She was willing to surrender her own life to come to Jesus to find ultimate victory that's what this man a few verses before he did the same thing think about that guy think about him in the temple having to go and say yeah i went to jesus that's not going to go over real well when he gets to work the next day like hey man you're you're a ruler here in the synagogue we hate that guy yeah yeah i get that but i had to get to jesus there's no telling the ramifications that happened for him uh economically socially with his job after he came to jesus and fell out remember a crowd pressed in around him that crowd knew who he was they knew he was a ruler in the synagogue but he said man it's not about that it's about something way deeper way greater it's about my daughter so if i gotta lose everything to get her saved i'll do it and now we get back to him so here's this woman this supernatural thing happened and it said this in 35 while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Think about what was going on in this man. Just several minutes before that, Jesus was on his way to his house to save the child physically, to, to heal her forever. And I wonder all that hope he had in those moments this is the day she's gonna she's gonna she's gonna she's gonna get well she's gonna be okay and then in that moment what happens amen it just didn't work out the way you thought it was going to you see that in the passage 
Like the anticipation he had was dashed in that moment when that guy from his house said, man, don't even bother with him, it's too late. And I wonder for myself and I wonder for us how often I have these expectations of Jesus and some other voice comes in and says, man, don't even bother. Don't waste your time, it's too late. Anyone else, that ever happened to anyone else in the room? Okay, two of us. And so here in that moment, he's pretty hopeless and helpless. And yet, what does Jesus say to him? But Jesus, overhearing what they said, says to the ruler of the synagogue, I wonder if Jesus turned to him when he said that and saw his face and just saw the man's countenance fall and saw the color of his skin go out and he said to him, like, I wonder how fearful that man was in that moment. I mean, I love Tennyson with all my heart. And if someone had come to me and I'd come to Jesus and said, look, man, whatever you got to do to get to Tennyson to, to make her well, please do it. And Jesus said, yeah, we're on our way. I wanted to think about that, all that excitement that would come for me as Tennyson's dad, and then all of a sudden this one man shows up and says, too late. Think about how dejected that man must have been in that moment. If you're a mom or a dad, think about that. I wonder if he just crumpled on the ground. I wonder if he started crying. I wonder if he was just in shock. Like, I wonder to myself what was going on. Jesus knew what was going on because he spoke right to, G, right to the man's heart, and he says this. Hey, do not fear. Only believe. Only believe. Don't fear. Only believe. He's going to tell this to a man in Mark chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. He says, anything's possible for God, right? That's what he says. You can turn there for just a moment. Mark chapter 9, two pages, three pages over. Now here's this, guy, this man, his son's has this unclean spirit. He comes to Jesus, kind of the same deal that we see here in this passage. And he says, if you can do anything, have compassion on him. And Jesus says to him, if you can, like you're asking, if I can, if there's anything, I can do a lot. Like, do you realize I flung the moon in place? Do you realize that everything that you see comes from me? Like, I have all the power, if I can. And then he says this, all things are possible for the one who believes back to mark chapter five do not fear only believe only believe and so they begin to make their way to the house and it says in verse 37 and he allowed no one to follow him except peter and james and john so all of a sudden this crowd that's been following him, he looks at the crowd and says you can't come any further stop here and they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and jesus so all the commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. Like, they were weeping and wailing loudly because she was dead. Like, the crowd thought she was dead. Like, in that culture, they had professional mourners. You'd hire people to come mourn. Think about all the times that those mourners would come to a house. They knew what death looked like. And so here's this commotion going on outside the house, all this weeping, all this wailing, all, all this like angst. And Jesus looks at them and says, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but is sleeping. 
And it says this, and they laughed at him. They stopped their crying and they started laughing at him. What? We, we know dead people. We've seen them, we've been around them. Like, she, 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 she's dead. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, little girl or daughter, I say to you, rise. Same words, almost word for word, he had just spoken to the woman that had been suffering for 12 years daughter, little girl, my little girl, arise. I I bring you something, I bring your family something that they didn't expect was coming. I I brought me, I brought life. And I don't just mean I brought physical life, but I'm showing you I bring spiritual life. Now, rise. And what does it say? He took the little girl by the hand. Relational. Like, no one else would touch this girl at this moment. She's dead. You see that in the text? She's dead. Jesus had touched her. He would have become unclean. And what does he do? He reaches out his hand. He becomes unclean and takes her by the hand and says, little daughter, rise, and gently pulls her up out of a deathbed. And what does it say? And immediately the girl got up and began walking. Like, she didn't, like, get up and, like, stagger around. She got up out of the bed and started walking around this house. She had just been dead. And yet Jesus breathed life into her and pulled her up by the hand and said, no, no, get up, walk around. And then says this, give her something to eat. What? Give her something to eat. And immediately the girl rose up and began walking. For she was 12 years old, and they were immediately overcome with what? Amazement. You see, we can look at this passage and we see a lot of similarities here. Two girls, two women. At the age of 12, you were were considered a woman in that culture. Two girls, two women had been suffering for 12 years. There says 12 in the passage twice. There's a lot of similarities. Two people that had no contact with anyone else because one was dead, so that contact was over. The other lady, 12 years of no contact. And yet you can turn the coin over and say, man, there's so many dissimilarities. Here's this little girl who grew up in a house that was prominent, and she she had everything she needed. She was taken care of. She wouldn't have been an outcast. The other woman, 12 years, she was an outcast for 12 years. And yet, what happens to both of them? They have one common denominator, their need for Jesus. The common denominator for both of these women were they needed Jesus to do for them what nobody else could do, and that was to bring them power and victory. Do you see that in the passage? And what does Jesus do? Because of both of the man's faith and the woman's faith, their faith Bring supernatural healing. And so, church, I ask this question. What's our faith today? What do we come here expecting today? What do you go in faith to Jesus for today?
You see, my hope is this. That because of your faith, many people will be overcome with amazement. Do you see that in the passage? Like, yes, Jesus rose from the dead, but it came as a line from two people's faith. If these two people had no faith in Jesus, there would have never been amazement that would have taken place. The amazement was not on what, what had happened, but on who Jesus was. I just often wonder myself, am I faithful in the things that I can already tell will happen? That didn't take much faith. Like, if I can predict it's going to happen, I don't really need the faith that it will happen, right? You, you hear what I'm saying there? Well, these two things, apart from Jesus, was not going to happen. There was no way this woman was going to get healed, and there's no way this little girl was going to raise from the dead. They needed a supernatural faith. And I just wondered to myself as I was studying this week for us here at Powell's Chapel, I would think we all have faith. I believe that. But I just wonder, is our faith too small? What are we really asking God for today? Are we asking God for things that we know are probably going to take place anyway? Or are we beginning to ask God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves? You see, there's 7.4 billion people in the world. That's going to take a lot of faith to reach that many people. Let's narrow it down just a little bit farther. The other day, I got the blessing to go to Tennyson School for Thanksgiving meal. And I was overwhelmed by the people in that place. And I wasn't overwhelmed by the number of people. I expected to be a lot of people. But I was overwhelmed by what I saw in the people. Now, I'm not making a supernatural prediction who's saved and unsaved. I just walked in there. I saw a lot of hurting people. A lot of hurting people. And at that moment, I thought to myself, I got something they don't have. I got joy, I got peace, I got patience, I got goodness. I'm not, I'm not saying that as, man, I'm judging them or comparing them. I just saw in their face, man, these, these are some hurting folks. Anyone ever see that in people? Like, I thought to myself, what can we, House Chapel, do to bring hope to people, to bring joy to people, to bring peace to people, to bring goodness to people, to bring kindness to people? That's going to take a supernatural faith. That's going to take something way bigger than ourselves. And I wondered, for me, would we have the faith in this building that those eight, nine hundred people, however many people were at school that day, would look at utter amazement of what God is doing here at Powell's Chapel? Where's our faith? Do we have faith in the power of Christ that leads to the victory? In Christ. You see, both these stories are the same. And all of our stories are like these two stories. However you want to slice it and dice it. We have a great need for Jesus. So whether you're the man with the daughter that's dead or the woman that's been plagued for 12 years or anywhere in between that, your need is the same. It's for Jesus to do for you what you could not do for yourself, and that's raise you from the dead. Do we have that faith? And that Jesus could do that for you, he can do that 
for the 2,500 homes that are in a five-mile radius of this building? Where's our faith? Let's pray. God, victory comes through our surrender. And today I pray that we would surrender it all to you. That all of us, though we come from many different places and many different backgrounds, we all have one thing that's in common, our need for you. So if we have that in common, then when you enter our lives, then we have something else in common. That we're all different, we're all unique. We all have you as our Savior and our Lord. I pray that God, throughout our differences, that we look to the thing that unites us, and that's you, Lord Jesus. God, I pray that you would grow our faith here at Palace Chapel. That we become desperate for you. We become dependent on you. And that in all that, God, you continue to grow our faith that you can and will do supernatural things. You are a good God. Let others be in amazement of you because of our faith. We pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus.